Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. From college to MLB, join me, Taylor Renee. And me, Emma Hayes. As we discuss all things baseball on KCOE Sports' first and exclusively female talk show, A League of Their Own. Tune in every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia or online at KCOU.FM. There's no crying in baseball! Tune in to Preferred Walk-Ons, a weekly sports talk show updating you on everything Mizzou and professional sports. Chase Phillips, Ben Krakow, and Garrett Jones hit the airwaves at 4 o'clock every Friday with balanced and insightful sports talk. We also bring on a variety of guests in studio and over the phone from Columbia and around the SEC to give national insight and perspective. And when we've had enough, you won't want to miss Get It Off Your Chest, our ending segment where we blast what's driving us crazy in sports over the mid-Missouri airwaves. Join us for year two on KCU in Columbia, worldwide on KCU.fm in the Blue Box and in the TuneIn Radio app. Welcome in to the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the Blue Box, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and once again, special guest, super sub Matthew Terry is in today for Garrett Jones. Thank you for joining us once again, Matthew. Oh, thank you, Ben, for the warm, kind introduction. Uh, it is an honor to be on the show once again. Had a lot of fun last time, so hoping for the same this time. Matthew just replaces whoever can't be here. Last time it was Chase, today it's Garrett. So we got a lot Coming for you, Ben. All right. I guess um, he'll replace me at some point, too. Maybe he'll just be a permanent member at one point. Who knows? Even though he already has his own show that keeps him busy. Uh, salute your sports Wednesdays at 4 p.m. here. Uh, I have to get that plug in. That's the only requirement of me being on the show is I get to plug my own show. Just, yeah, just a quick promo for his show. So make sure to check that out on Wednesdays. But on our show today, we got a lot to get to. It is NFL Draft Week. This is our final show before the first round of the NFL Draft Next week, next Thursday night in Nashville. So we're going to do a little bit of a mock draft like we did last year. We weren't so successful last year. We'll try to be better this year. And then a lot more to get into later in the show. We'll have NBA and NHL playoffs as well as Theo DeRosa from the Columbia, Missouri. And will be joining us at 430 to talk some Mizzou baseball as they continue their series this weekend in Georgia against the Bulldogs. So make sure to stay tuned for that later in the show. But as promised, we will start off with our annual mock draft for our second annual one. Last year's... We did Chase and I along with, with Garrett, and we I believe got one out of the thirty-two picks right. So Dang right, I did. Ben. It really can only go up from here. I I guess it technically could go down. But Challenge uh, accepted. Uh, ben. <laughs> it, we'll see if we can do a little bit better. I'm pretty sure last year it was an obscure offensive lineman that Chase got in the middle of the first round. So hey man, just got no. We didn't even though. remember who it is. We didn't even no. get the first pick right last year. We didn't. Uh, I don't think. I don't think many people did. Yeah, day of, but we weren't doing a day of. So. I think I said Josh Allen, but yeah, whatever. I thought it would be Darnold. Whatever, that didn't go so well, so we're going to move past that. And so we will start, I guess, Chase, we'll give you the first pick this year. Oh, you're dang right. We'll give Chase the first pick, well, then we'll go Matthew second and me third as we go through the 32 teams in the first round, and maybe next week we'll do the second round because we already know the first round picks, probably not. But uh, <laughs> it's it's always a fun exercise. There's lots of mock drafts out there. We've studied it the best we can to try to give some informed predictions. We are not going to be doing any trades. That's just too complicated. So we're going to do it straight up, and we will see how this goes. All right, so Chase, 
You are on the clock. It is the first pick. The Arizona Cardinals. Who are the Arizona Cardinals selecting? Nick Bosa. Wow. So no Kyler Murray. Chase goes with Nick Bosa. What's your reasoning behind that? Everything that I've been seeing and I've been reading, I I just think that they're going to give more than a year to Josh Rosen. It it would not stun me if it was Kyler Murray, but with Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, excuse me, and the way that he can maneuver offenses, I think that if he can work with Josh Rosen, and just from what I've been seeing, Josh Rosen's been the first one in, the last one to leave. He really wants that job. I just think they're going to stick with him. So I'm going to go with Nick Bosa, the best pass rusher in the draft. So would, if you had the ability to trade, I'll ask you that, would you trade down if you were Arizona? Yes. If I'm Arizona, I'm trading down to a team possibly like Oakland, who they've been rumored that they could possibly trade up and take a quarterback at number one, or a team like the Giants who really thinks, you know, that they have a guy in Kyler Murray, or something to that effect. Yeah, it wouldn't stun me if yes. they traded down. Oakland has those three first-round picks. The Giants have two. All right, Matthew, you're up next. The second overall pick, the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, no quarterback need there. Where are they going? Yeah, with no quarterback need with the 49ers, I'm going with the second-best defensive player in this draft. Some may argue the best defensive player in this draft. I'm going with Quinnen Williams, the defensive tackle out of Alabama. And a defensive tackle that can pass rush as well as any of these edge rushers in this class has been described as a 300-pound bar of soap because he's so slippery. You can't get your hands on him. You can't block him. Quinnen Williams is an absolute stud and makes the San Francisco 49ers defensive line suddenly very terrifying. So that is my second overall pick. So Quinnen Williams out of Alabama going two to the 49ers. I have the third overall pick, which is the New York Jets. They obviously took Sam Darnold there. At least what they hope is their future franchise quarterback last year. I think this is an obvious trade down spot if you're the Jets and Murray's still on the board. But for me, I'm going to go with Josh Allen, the defensive end, line, outside linebacker out of Kentucky. He's a kind of exactly what they need. They have some inside pass rushers. He's a guy who can add to the outside. He was an animal in the SEC, uh, had a great combine, a guy who measures out really well. I think he's a guy that could certainly help the Jets' defense a lot as they've added several pieces to that team but still need to add more players and no better position to do that than the number three pick in the draft. All right, Kyler Murray still on the board at number four at the Oakland Raiders. Do they do it, Chase? I, I don't think so. I, I think Derek Carr is going to be their guy. Um, but just going back to Josh Allen, he just kind of feels like a Jet, doesn't he? It just it just kind of seems like that's one of those picks that's pretty well locked that, that Josh Allen's going to be a Jet. I, yeah. I, I don't know. And, unless unless, he goes unless something crazy <laughs> or, or he goes before, something yeah. crazy happens. But um, moving on with the Oakland Raiders taking, since Quinn Williams is off the board, I'm going to go with – a guy who's been flying up draft boards, and I think he's going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. I'm going to go Ed Oliver there for the Oakland Raiders at four. That's a great pick. All right, Matthew Terry. Uh, that with Tampa Bay. Tampa is, Bay at five. Uh, Ed Oliver was going to be my pick for Tampa Bay. I think he's just an absolute stud. That's coming out of Houston right there. Uh, with Tampa Bay, they have a lot of needs on the defensive side of things. Their offense is pretty much set, aside from some uncertainty for a quarterback, but that can really be reserved for the future. I'm not going Kyler Murray here. I'm going for the quarterback of this uh, new Tampa Bay defense, Devin White, linebacker out of LSU. Yeah, Devin White, certainly one of the top linebackers, probably in the top two in this draft, maybe the best overall. I think that would be an interesting situation if Murray were still to be sitting there. Would Tampa Bay be tempted? Bruce Arians is an offensive-minded coach. Would he consider taking Kyler Murray in that spot, even if quarterback's not their most pressing need? I don't think Kyler Murray's there. there if I, yeah. think no, I don't, I, I don't think he's up. there, but I could definitely see Tampa Bay pulling the trigger on getting Kyler Murray. Oh, I could, I could too. I just, uh, like I said, I think somebody will trade up and get him. But go ahead, Ben. All right, in six, the Giants, obviously, if, if Murray's on the board there, I think that's an obvious fit. Him and Saquon Barkley 
would be pretty dynamic <laughs> in that backfield. Again, I, I think we all agree Murray's not likely to sit there at six, but considering we're not doing trades, he is in this mock draft. So Murray six to the Giants. All right, Chase, number seven, the Jacksonville Jaguars. New quarterback in Nick Foles there. Where do you see them going? Well, I'm going to give quarterback Nick Foles a new weapon, and it's something that he had in Philadelphia that I think he is really going to excel with with this new weapon. He, You know, he had Zach Ertz. He had, you know, Dallas Godert. He had Brent Selleck. I, I really think that right here they're going to go T.J. Hawkinson. That, I was wondering which t- uh, Iowa tight end you would go with. I, I think T.J. Hawk- I think he's the best. I think Noah Fane is the best pass catcher, but I think Hawkinson is the best overall tight end in the draft, and I also think he can help with the run game and help Fournette get some more holes. So I, I believe T.J. Hawkins is the pick there. Wouldn't stun me if they go offensive line there, though. Mm-hmm. All right, Matthew Terry, do we see the first offensive lineman go off the board here at number eight to the Detroit Lions? Uh, no. Uh, in this, Detroit could really use a lot of things. They're in a very weird place right now, but I think this is a situation where they go with just best player available, and so they go Rashawn Gary out of Michigan, go with the home state kid, big pass rusher. I think he's going to have a good NFL career ahead of him, and uh, I think Detroit's getting a good player right here. So Rashawn Gary, a guy that sort of varies depending on what mock draft you see, could go high, could go a little bit lower in the first round, but still likely to be a first-rounder at some point. Matthew has him eight overall in this draft. All right, number nine, I got Buffalo. Buffalo could go several different directions here. You can make an argument for several different players, but I'm I'm going to go offensive tackle. I think Jawan Taylor from Florida uh, could be a nice addition to help protect Josh Allen there. He's the top tackle on the board. He's another guy that I don't think might not be there at nine when the Bills are picking, but I'll give them Jawan Taylor, the offensive tackle out of Florida. I like that pick too there, Ben. Yeah, you got your rookie quarterback. Now you just got to keep him upright. All right, Chase, number 10, Denver Broncos. A lot of different directions this one can go. Where are you going and, with this? And that's that really is a tough one, you know. It, it's they they need a a lot of a lot of depth and they ha, they have a lot of issues but I think somebody who's a really good fit is the Missouri Missouri zone and I think Drew Locke and, and the reason behind Drew Locke going to ten John Elway whenever he came to watch Drew Locke said he absolutely fell in love with his game and has fell in love with his tape to me he reminds me of a Joe Flacco s he's got a big cannon but he needs some time to work through some of these developments and learn an NFL scheme and it's perfect. They've got Drew Locke there. They've got Joe Flacco under contract for this year. They can play Joe Flacco this year. They can sit Drew Locke behind him, and they can really make sure he's ready before they play him. All right, so Drew Locke, the second quarterback, goes off the board. All right, Matthew, you have now number 11 in the Mm -hmm. Cincinnati Bengals. Where do they go? Uh, This is a player that I would be – honestly, I would not be surprised if he fell this far, like if he was the one that takes the draft day, like slide that always seems to happen. Cincinnati, like I'm doing with Detroit, Cincinnati stays in state, gets the successor to Andy Dalton, and drafts Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback out of Ohio State. Yeah, certainly a lot of people think the Bengals could go quarterback, as Andy Dalton is probably not... He's not the answer anymore. Yeah, he's he's probably not the long-term future. Likely still to be the starter there next year, but that would give Haskins a year to sit, or at least a year to sit behind Dalton and learn, and of course Dalton's dealt with some injuries the last couple years as well. All right, number 12, the Green Bay Packers, their first of two first-round picks in this draft, a rare year where the Packers did not make the playoffs. A lot of different directions in this one. You know, I think a lot of people have a skill position player to the Packers in this spot, but I don't know if there's a real fit at any with any of these 
skill position players. You already had Hawkinson go off the board, and I think it'd be a reach to take a receiver at this point. So this is a possible spot where the Packers could, in my opinion, trade back if this would be the situation and pick up some more picks and pick a skill position player a little later in the first round. But I'm going to go ahead and go with Montez Sweat, the defensive end out of Mississippi State, one of the better pass rushers in this class, a guy that I think if he fell to 12 to the Packers, they'd be pretty happy that he'd be sitting there and a guy that can help out that defense a little bit. And Aaron Rodgers obviously could use some more weapons, but in this situation, it may just be kind of a best player available kind of situation. So sweat to the Packers at 12. All right, Chase, number 13, the Miami Dolphins. Where do you have them going? And I, I'm going to have them stay in state in two. And this is a guy that I really, really love. And that's edge rusher Brian Burns. He is long. He's lanky. His bend is some of the best bend I've seen in a long time. I, I really like Brian Burns, and I like his game. And I also think he's a really good fit because he's more of, in my eyes, he's more of a 4-3 set-the-edge defender that can rush the pass. I don't think he's going to fit well in a 3-4 scheme. I think he is more of a 4-3 defensive end, and that can fill the hole that Cameron Wake just left whenever he left uh, Miami as well. So I think Brian Burns is the answer there, with all the quarterbacks being gone, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Forgive me for a moment as my um, a big board page that was up on my laptop has just suddenly like crashed no, and, well, you got the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Oh, yes, a, a team that I hold near and dear to my heart, <laughs> uh, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, for those uh, said with heavy sarcasm in his voice. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons are in a weird spot because they are a team on paper that's good enough to make the playoffs and make a run. They were just hampered by injuries last year. So this is a good spot to pick up another good player that can help melt and help them make that push. And I'm going with uh, Klein Farrell out of Clemson. The edge rusher, the last edge rusher they drafted, Vic Beasley, had that one really big year back in, I believe, 2015 or 2016 when the Falcons made their run to the Super Bowl. And I Kind of fell they, off the map since then. Yeah, and I think they go with another shot at a Clemson defensive lineman where Clemson's D-line is just absurd this year. I think that's where they end up going with this pick right here as they make that a push back to uh, try to go back to the Super Bowl. I got Washington here at 15. Washington's another team that could go in several different directions to me, I'm going to have them go here with Marquise Brown, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma. They need more offensive weapons. Uh, new quarterback this year in Case Keenum, obviously, with Alex Smith being injured. You know, This could be a quarterback landing spot as well, potentially, but with those top three guys off the board, going to have them add a speedy guy on the outside, something that Washington really lacks. All right, Chase, you now have number 16 here in the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I'm going to go with Andre Dillard. Um Offensive tackle out of Washington State. I think he's a tackle that can play both right and left. I think they're going to slide him. He's absolutely massive. Slide him over to the left side and protect Cam Newton's blind side because that was a big issue for them this year was being able to keep Cam Newton upright. You know, he has dealt with some shoulder issues. But when you're getting pounded in the dirt every single game, it's not going to help anything. So I think Andre Dillard's a good fit there. All right, Matthew, you're up with number 17 in the New York Giants' second pick in the first round. Give me one second real quick because I'm the uh, I'm keeping track of everything so sure. that we know for the future. Yeah, and you, just to be clear, the Giants did take Kyler Murray in the first round, yes. in the first pick. So they did take Kyler Murray. They already have their quarterback. So right now, this is already a dream scenario for the New York Giants. They've got their quarterback, and now they need— I was going to go Andre Dillard, honestly. They need someone to— to keep them upright, but going with the, uh, I'm sorry, the next best offensive lineman on the board looking at this once my computer actually starts working with me. Well, I can tell you Jonah Williams is still out there. That's true. That's what I was thinking about. Jonah Williams is the next pick. 
My apologies for not being as prepared. No, you're good. Jonah Williams, technology slowing you down a little bit. But, yeah, Jonah Williams, the tackle out of Alabama, one of the top offensive line prospects in this draft, as Alabama routinely has on the offense and defensive line. He would be an excellent fit, I think, with the Giants, an offensive line that needs some additions. All right, number 18 in Minnesota. To me, they're another team that could really use some help on the offensive line, and there's Cody Ford, the guard and tackle from Oklahoma, sitting out there. To me, he's a versatile guy, a guy that could help them uh, protect a little bit better for Kirk Cousins as they really struggled down the stretch. I think he's a guy that could be a good fit in Minnesota in the first round. All right, Chase, number... Apologies, Ben. Who'd you go with? With Cody Ford, the guard at Oklahoma. Uh, Number 19, Tennessee Titans. Where did they turn? I think one of the biggest needs for the Titans was their ability to stop the run. That's something that they have struggled with. They've got some great pass rushers. I really like what they've done with their secondary between Malcolm Butler, Dory Jackson, Kevin Byard over the top. They've got a really nice secondary. So I think a good fit here is Christian Wilkins. I I think between him and Jarrell Casey, you're going to have a very, very, very difficult time being able to stop those two up the middle. All right, so Wilkins, another Clemson defensive lineman, goes there. And then number 20, Matthew, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, where do you see them turning? Uh, Chase, this is like a dream scenario for you if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan because all three top cornerbacks in this draft are still on the board, and really the Steelers can't go wrong in this scenario. My personal opinion, I'm going with Greedy Williams out of LSU with this pick right here. Good long cornerbacks had a really good start to the year. A bit of a bit of a tapering off. We thought he'd go a little bit higher yeah, than he is. Not not a huge fan of tackling. It seemed like in a season yeah, times. But I believe with proper coaching, the Steelers can add him to the secondary. He can instantly be a good playmaker for them. It's interesting. He goes Greedy Williams with Devin Bush still on the board. That it'll be interesting to see if they actually do go stick with corner and think that they have Mark Barron as their inside linebacker answer for the next couple of years. Also true. At number twenty one, the Seattle Seahawks. Our team a little bit in transition right now. To me, I have them going, uh, adding another corner in Byron Murphy, the cornerback from Washington, a local product, obviously, there with Seattle. Washington, University of Washington being in Seattle, to me, they lost a lot out of the Legion of Boom the last couple of years. They could use some upgrades on that side and in that area. I think Byron Murphy could do a lot for the Seattle Seahawks. All right, Chase, number 22, the Baltimore Ravens. What do you like there? (laughs) I don't like anything there, but um, if I had to go with my best guess, I think they're going to give Lamar Jackson another weapon, and I think it's going to be a wide receiver. And my personal favorite is best wide receiver in the draft. I'm going to go A.J. Brown right there. He is the best overall complete wide receiver. can go inside, can go outside. I really love his game. Um, I think D.K. Metcalf is going to be something that's going to fall on day one of the draft, and I think a lot of people are going to be surprised by it. All right, so... The first wide receiver from Ole Miss and A.J. Brown going there to Baltimore. Number 23, the Houston Texans. Matthew, where do you see them going? Uh, the Houston Texans, because I misread the draft board and thought I was picking for the Raiders right here, so give me a second <laughs> as I prepare an actual pick uh, for the team I need to draft for as I just keep messing everything up here. Uh, this is a Houston Texans team. We saw them make the playoffs last year. They lost to Ron Matthew in free agency. Correct. So the first safety off the board, Jonathan Abram on Mississippi State. Love his game. Going here to the Houston Texans. Absolutely love his game. All right, 24, the Raiders' second first-round pick in the draft. We had the Raiders taking Quinnen Williams, I believe, earlier in this draft. Is that correct? Yes. To me— No, Raiders at Oliver. At Oliver. So same position. I knew as a defensive lineman. I couldn't remember which one it was. To me, Devin Bushtall on the board makes a lot of sense here. I know it'd be kind of surprising to see Gruden go defensive in his first two picks, but to me, this is a pick that makes a lot of sense just because he's still sitting there and the Raiders could use some help, especially after trading Khalil Mack last year. So 
Devin Bush, obviously, that'd be big standards to live up to, but certainly could help out the Raiders immediately in that spot. All right, Chase, as we get towards the end of the first round here, number 25, the Philadelphia Eagles. Where do you see them going? Well, everybody had that as Josh Jacobs. That was going to be Josh Jacobs' landing spot. But since they got Jordan Howard, I don't think they waste a first round on a running back. I think running backs are overvalued in the first round, personally. I think you can find one later, and they're gonna, they can do just the same thing. So where I think they go here is I, I think they're going to get some more corner help. They have Ronald Darby but they really were missing that second corner. And I think they're going to go DeAndre Baker. I, I really like DeAndre Baker's tape as well. So I think that's a good fit for them. So DeAndre Baker there at 25 to Philadelphia. Matthew, number 26, Indianapolis, where are you like? The Indianapolis Colts are a team that a lot of people were looking at this offseason to make big moves. They had a lot of spending money to use. Andrew Luck coming off a rebound year. They made the playoffs. Except they didn't really do much by way of that in free agency. And I'm going with something that is a bit of a, a personal cardinal sin that I don't like doing, but I think this makes the most sense for the Colts right here, and that's going with Josh Jacobs, going with the first-round running back. I think it could be a good dynamic part of this Indianapolis Colts offense as they attempt to really progress further than just the divisional round of the playoffs. So I ended up here with another Raiders pick at 27. So this is their third pick of the first round. To me, this is kind of a tough spot because they've gone defensive in the first two picks of our, our mock, and then I think they got to add a weapon here, but I'm not sure there's a weapon necessarily really worth taking. But if there is one, to me, I'm going to go with DK Metcalf, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. He's a guy to me like John Gruden would really like when he's seeing the pictures and seeing the video of him and his freakish size and speed. To me, DK Metcalf's a guy that ends up in Oakland with their third first-round pick. All right, Chase, number 28, the Los Angeles Chargers. Who do you see them taking? I like Dexter Lawrence here. You you put Dexter Lawrence, Brandon Meebane, Melvin Ingram, and Joey Bosa, you've got one scary front four right there. I think that is a good fit. I could also see them going offensive line here, but I think Dexter Lawrence is a good fit. Potentially quarterback, too, maybe a little Potentially, bit Potentially, yeah. yeah. If, right. uh, if, you know, somebody were like Drew Locke or something like that were to fall, this would be a really good spot for the Chargers, but with those three off the board, I think that's where they go. And 29 with the Chiefs, Matthew uh, yes, with the Chiefs, I continue to look around, and this is a team that needs, they really just need defensive help, and that's pretty much obvious to anyone who watched them at all this year. So for them, I am going to go with, now that pretty much everyone else has been taken off of the board, I'm going with a safety pick for the Kansas City Chiefs going with Nasir Adela, yeah, Adderley. I like, I like that pick. Safety out of Delaware there. All right, with the 30th pick, it's the Green Bay Packers. Had them go defensive in the, with their first pick, taking Montez Sweat. To me, this is a ideal situation for the second Iowa tight end in Noah Fant, a weapon for Aaron Rodgers. I like Noah Fant there as he can sort of learn behind Jimmy Graham for a year and then sort of take over in Green Bay. So I'm going Noah Fant at 30. All right, Chase, 31 is the Los Angeles Rams. Who do you see them taking? And, and this is a tough spot for the Rams because this would be a really nice trade either back, or I would say probably a trade back for them. Um, I would be surprised if they didn't trade up either um, to possibly get another playmaker. You make it to the Super Bowl, you know, you, you want to continue to keep that going. Um, but overall, when I look at it, I think a really good fit for them is Jalen Ferguson. Uh, I think it gives him another good edge rusher on the outside to take some pressure off Aaron Donald because he's getting those double and triple teams. Um, so I really like uh, Jalen Ferguson there. Defensive end out of Louisiana Tech. All right, Matthew, you have the 32nd and final pick of this mock draft, the New England Patriots defending champs. Where do you see them going? 
Uh, every year we wonder and wonder and wonder, is this going to be the year where Tom Brady falls off? And every year we are told no, no, no. I think the Patriots try to grab a successor, and I think they're going with the best quarterback on the board right now out of North Carolina State, Ryan Finley. Ooh. Ryan Finley over Daniel Jones right now. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Daniel Jones's game. Interesting. Interesting. So that would definitely be, interesting. Certainly an interesting pick, and that's one there. If they took Finley, you know, could they get him in a second round, for example? Right. It's gonna be an interesting debate there. All right. Well, that'll do it for our NFL mock draft. We'll probably get all the picks wrong once again next Thursday, but we'll see. When we come back, Theo DeRosa of the Columbia Missouri is going to join us to discuss a little bit of Mizzou baseball. He's covering them now for PowerMizzou.com, and he will talk some Mizzou baseball, and we will. Bring him on after this quick break. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU. 2018 NFL Draft is now officially open. Tune into Undrafted for the best sports talk of the week. Catch Parker Reed. I'm an above-average Packers fan. But the Bills are a very bad team. They are utter trash. And Turner Klingenmeyer. Definitely draft stuck up. I'm going with coffee tables. But that Bears defense. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. only on KCOU 88.1 FM. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin for Save the Manatee Club. Manatees are wonderful. Their gentle, playful ways are fascinating to watch. Yet these harmless marine mammals face growing threats to their survival. Many manatees are injured or killed from boat strikes or other human activities, and their habitat is being lost. Manatees need your help. Please call Save the Manatee Club at 1-800-432-JOIN or visit www.savethemanatee.org. Looking to up your style with the changing season? Need a quick costume rental or just want to give some dope old clothes a new life? Check out Mod Vintage downtown for the best trend vintage around. We'll also pay cash for your retro wares if they no longer spark joy. Just go on down to Mod V at 818 East Broadway because life's too short to be basic. Tune in to High and Tight with me and my co-host, Logan Perrone, as we catch you up on the latest signings, trades, news, scores, and highlights from around America's pastime. Every Sunday at 11 a.m. on the 88.1 FM stream and on our website, KCU.FM on the Blue Box. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the light. It's time to meet the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. Hey, 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 my party peeps. This is DJ Mortz telling you about a sick new show this semester. Tune in every Monday from 6 to 8 p.m. for The Muppet Show, featuring no real Muppets or even knockoff Muppets. The only thing getting knocked off will be your socks by me, your Muppet wannabe host. Green smoke. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Mizzou softball is back on KCOU this weekend as the Tigers host Texas A&M Aggies for a three-game set, and you can hear all the action on KCOU 
First pitch of game two is tonight at 6.30 on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. And the series finale is tomorrow at noon on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. Missouri Tigers softball on the student voice of the Missouri Tigers is brought to you by B&B Bagel Company. Tigers won that first game of the series last night by a run and will try to pick up a series victory tonight. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Back here on the preferred walk-ons, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Matthew Terry here with you. And we have a special guest joining us, Theo DeRosa of PowerMizzou.com, is kind enough to join us to talk a little bit of Mizzou baseball. Theo, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And Theo, you know, it's sort of been an interesting season for the Tigers as they now sit 7-8-1 and one in conference play and sort of been a little bit of a surprise, I think, considering it was a little bit of a rough start to the year. And then they pick up home series wins over Ole Miss and LSU, two teams that could be very high seeds in the NCAA tournament. Now they're facing another really good team in Georgia this weekend. They lost last night facing one of the best pitchers in the country, 3 nothing. But certainly now D1 Baseball has them projected as a, as a two-seed and potentially there was thoughts that even potentially they could get to that one line and, and host with more wins down the stretch here. As someone who's watched a lot of the games this year and has been to many of them, what are sort of your general thoughts on how the season has gone? And are you surprised with how well they've played, especially considering Cameron Meisner's struggles? Uh, well, I think the pitching has really carried this team basically all year. Uh, TJ Sikkim is one of the best pitchers in the SEC, and this lefty rotation of him, Art Hoven, Tyler LaPlante, and Jacob Canterbury has been really good, really dominant for much of the year, especially in non-conference games. LaPlante is hurt now. He's been missing a couple weeks. He won't pitch this weekend as Art Hoven starts today and Sikkim tomorrow. But the pitching has really carried this team, and a couple hitters have stepped up too. Uh, junior shortstop Chris Cornelius has made a big leap from last year. Second baseman Mark Veeling's been solid, and a couple transfers, Peter Zimmerman and um, Peter Zimmerman and Tony Ortiz have been really good for the Tigers. So that's what I'm seeing. They've been very competitive against SEC opponents. Last night's game against Georgia, they really couldn't string any hits together off Emerson Hancock. But I mean, I think they're competitive in basically every series, and they've never really been blown out like in past years. Yeah, and like you said, Theo, this team, to, to me anyways, has really shocked some people and has really been overachieving. And, you know, part of that, I think, is, you know, due to the, you know, NCAA allegations, you know, which are still yet to be resolved. So Missouri still is eligible for postseason play. But as, but as you look at it now, like you said with the pitching, I think that is just something that has just been ridiculous. I was looking at the stats the other day, and TJ Sikama had like a 2.13 ERA, and LaPlante had like a 2.3, and Candleberry had like a 2.4. And they're like... Two and two, two and three, you know, and it's just, it just comes to show, you know, that when the bats are alive, this team is something that's very, very dangerous. Right, but the bats aren't always alive. Uh, last night, just a few hits, again, no runs. But when the bats do get alive, and Taylor Stadium has been actually more conducive to runs and home runs this year than in past years with the weather there, uh, it's a fun thing to watch because the Tigers can actually put up some runs in a pretty good way. They scored 11 against LSU, I'm pretty sure, in the last game. Got nine against Kentucky, and both of those were series wins. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to ask you about is we're talking about Cameron Meisner's struggles, especially in SEC play this year, where he hits just above or might even be under at this point, 150 on the season. Someone that stepped up has been Chris Cornelius. Just how important is a player like that, a junior, coming in, stepping up after a career like 250 hitting, how important is that to a team like Mizzou who's trying to contend for a potential regional site? As long as I've seen, Missouri's weakness has been uh, depth in the lineup, and having Cornelius just changes that completely. Even with Meisner's struggles, 
he's walking a ton, of course, but he's not really getting much to actually hit, and subsequently his batting average is pretty low. But having Cornelius there hitting, what, about 300 is just so big for this team to have depth and to get guys on base and eventually drive them in. Yeah, Paul Gomez hitting about 352 in SEC play, especially with my I mean, Meister struggles are pretty incredible for a guy that's likely to be a first-round pick in June, striking out about a third of the time in SEC play this year. I was going to ask you that, you know, it used to be a sort of thought in college baseball that you had to get to 500 in conference play to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think that's as much true anymore, especially in a conference like the SEC with all the ranked teams. But for Missouri, going into the SEC tournament in about a month, you still got Vanderbilt on the schedule, still got Florida, still got Tennessee, several tough series. What is there a win mark for in your mind that you think they could, if they achieve this many wins in the regular season, it doesn't matter what happens in, in Alabama in the SEC tournament, they they will be in no matter what happens? I think that is the 15 mark. And with the tie, that might be 14, 15, and 1 that would get them in with an SEC record of 14, 15, and 1. But I do think that they'll need to be about 500 because they didn't dominate non-conference play. They really struggled actually early in the season. It's heated up since then. They haven't lost a midweek game in quite a while. But I think they need to have an even conference record or the committee may not have them in. I think to be safe, at least, they need a 15 wins in the SEC. Yeah, and, you know, as we were talking about pitching a little earlier, somebody else has been a really nice surprise out of the bullpen has been Jordan Goolman. He's been that guy that's come on. You know, I believe the other night he pitched a 7th, 8th, and ninth and closed down a game, and I don't know if he allowed – he maybe allowed one or two hits. Either way, he's been really dominant all season long, which has also been a nice surprise. Yeah, Goopelman, Cameron Dule, those two guys have been absolutely huge for Missouri, and just having those shutdown late-inning relievers is so nice, especially when the bullpen struggled mightily in the first few games, first couple weeks of the season – Having those guys come in and just shut it down is something Coach Beezer really relies on and can depend on for the rest of the season. Yeah, and you've mentioned all these great names out of the bullpen. I haven't even mentioned Ian Bedell, who has an 080, an 082 ERA so far this year. Now, something that Mizzou's done, uh, I've noticed it a lot more. This is more about the college baseball philosophy thing in general, is that Mizzou has been going with TJ Sikama on like Sundays to kind of close out series instead of what we've seen in the past, which is generally Sikama will open up the series and get on a hot note. Do you, what kind of impact does do you think that has for a team knowing your guy is going towards the end of the series rather than kicking things off? I think it has a dual impact. I think though Sikama is good, the elite starters in the SEC like Isaiah Campbell and yesterday Hancock are going to beat guys like Sikama and Missouri pretty often. So Missouri can actually relegate its best starter to the weekend and kind of not punt the first game, but at least give itself a better chance to win in the subsequent games. And you've seen that a lot with Sikama going either Saturday or Sunday. And he's been just dominant and he's winning all these games. And you'll see this with Kentucky too. Zach Thompson is their ace and he is starting the last game of the series for the Wildcats. Yeah, there's a discussion about that last night during the Missouri game on ESPNU with Tom Hart and Todd Walker about using Sikama either on, I think he's going tonight, I believe. Is that right, in game two? Tomorrow night. Oh, he's going to go tomorrow night. So he's pitching the third game of the series this weekend. He's been sort of mixed a little bit. He's, as you mentioned, you know, guys like Hancock not necessarily wanting to match your ace versus their ace when their ace is a little bit better than yours, at least in certain situations. I'll finish it off with this. There's a lot of debate you hear among Missouri fans about the idea of the bunting. Steve Beezer loves the bunt. Bunts all the time. Yes, they're making fun of it in the studio right now. Butter away to Omaha, baby. That's what that's what sort of the, the slogan got started. But you know, I think 
most people would say it's too much, you know, especially in situations where there's nobody out when there's a guy on first, you don't need a bunt. And I don't know how many are being directed from the dugout versus players just choosing to do it on your own. As someone who's watched the majority of the games the last couple years with Beezer as the head coach, what are your thoughts on his strategies and his idea of bunting so often? Never bunt. Um, Beezer has bunted a lot, and it doesn't really seem to work out very often. There was a game this year against LSU, the Friday night game. They lost 12-11 to in 10 innings. LSU's starter, Zach Hess, went down with an injury. Mikhail Hilliard came in, couldn't get anybody out. Five or six runs later, the first out was a bunt, a sacrifice bunt. I'm not really sure why. He could not get an out, and yet Beezer was just going to give him one. So I don't think that works out more than not. Have you talked about that at all with him and his strategy behind it? Occasionally. I haven't been critical as in why are you bunting, but he'll talk about it and he'll regret, he'll lament when bunts aren't being carried out well. And I think if the team could bunt a little better, I think they've done a better job this year than last year, but I think that it doesn't work out enough for it to be worth it. I just remember one time last year against a Vanderbilt, I believe, when we were in the stands for a game. And in the eighth inning, in a crucial situation, Beezer pinch hit is like number three hitter, and the dude, the pinch hitter came in and laid down a bunt, and I just wanted to scream my head off. It just it, it hurts sometimes, personally. Yeah, I just don't really go with that strategy, giving away outs. I've actually looked at expected run tables last year when he was doing it a lot, and you get a lot more expected runs in an inning if you don't bunt and you don't give away that out. Now, Beezer said, like, every single run is valuable, but personally, I would think like the chance to get multiple runs as opposed to a more sure possibility of getting one is more valuable to a team. Yeah, and some of it may be due a little bit to, to having a limited offensive team and not a ton of offensive weapons, as we discussed earlier. But it is interesting considering how forward-thinking of a team they seem to be. They use analytics a lot. They use a lot of the tracker data that's available now. But also it's sort of an old-school kind of thing, right, with the bunting. It seems like that doesn't necessarily go hand-in-hand. Hand. Right. I think it does kind of clash a little bit. Like, they'll be... They'll happily lay down a squeeze bunt, which I actually don't mind. I think that's a good situation where you can actually definitely get the run in. But just moving a runner over, it just doesn't seem to clash with what teams have been learning about runs and how to score them. And I think that might end up hurting occasionally for this team. Well, Theo, thanks so much for joining us. You can check out his work on PowerMizzou.com as Missouri continues their series this weekend against Georgia and then home next weekend against South Carolina, I believe. And that series will be broadcast live all weekend on KCOU. Theo, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Some great insight from Theo DeRosa there. If you missed any of that, check that out on our podcast on Spotify later on. When we come back, we're going to talk some NBA and NHL playoffs. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. College to MLB, join me, Taylor Renee, and me, Emma Hayes, as we discuss all things baseball on KCOU Sports' first and exclusively female talk show, A League of Their Own. Tune in every Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia or online at KCOU.FM.
you like Mizzou athletics, then you're going to love Salute Your Sports. From Mizzou softball to soccer to football and basketball, we cover everything Tigers. Join Chris Mitchell, James Stanley, myself, Matthew Terry, every Wednesday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia and online at kcou.fm. Also, be sure to follow Salute Your Sports on Twitter at, again, KCOU Sports. We hope to see you there. Bring them out, bring them out. Preferred Walk-Ons, Mizzou's most insightful sports talk from your favorite bench warmers, is now available to listen anytime, anywhere. After every Friday's show with Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones, we post a podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Anchor Podcast app, and anywhere else you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter, at KCOU Walk-Ons. End your week with Preferred Walk-Ons, a part of KCOU Sports, and now streaming. Good evening. The game you're about to see is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting, and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Hi, I'm Kyle Jones. And I'm Cole Toussaint. Tune in to our show, KNC Sports, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9. We discuss all the latest and greatest scores and stories from around the world of sports. Remember to tune in every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 only on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia or online at KCOU.FM. You don't want to miss it. Oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is... Looking to start a podcast but don't know how? KCOU has you covered. Our trained producers will help you record, edit, and post your podcasts on whatever platforms you need. For more information and pricing, contact Sports Director Josh Neighbors at sports at kcou.fm. That's sports at kcou.fm. Or text or call 804-316-6353. That's 804-316-6353. Let KCOU help make your podcast ideas a reality. Welcome back into the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and special guest Matthew Terry. If you just missed Theo DeRosa of PowerMizzou.com, he came in and joined us a little bit and talked some Mizzou baseball. It was a good conversation, a lot about the bunting as well as what Mizzou needs to do going forward over the next month or so to make the NCAA tournament. So make sure to check our, our podcast on Spotify to hear what he had to say if you missed that. All right, and our last segment here today... We'll get to the NBA and NHL playoffs as they are now in full swing as we are heading towards the middle to end of the first round. And I'm always reminded just how long the playoffs are. I feel like we've already been in the playoffs a couple weeks and we're still in round one. Like these things take a really, really long time, especially with the NBA playoffs where teams are getting like two off days in between each game. Yeah. So these series are taking like two or three like are gonna two take- off days. Give them one. Yeah, two. they don't. The Bucks and Pistons series doesn't need to go on this long. We know what's going or, to happen. Or you want to add some intrigue? I mean, I know there'd be injury concerns, whatever. Yeah. Play the first two games back to back. Yeah. Let's, let's play the first two games back to back. Let's have a little. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. They play back to backs in the regular season. Why not try it? 
if both teams have the same rest back to back, I don't know what the huge difficulty would be. There. I think the issue is actually playing back to back, and the players don't want to do that. Yeah, and obviously, in some cases, arena availability. Example: Boston has the Celtics and the Bruins playing right now, so having to share the arena can be a bit tricky in certain situations, especially with other concerts and other things on the schedule. But anyway, we'll start with the NBA. Um, you know, the NBA playoffs, especially the first round, is never all that interesting. You know, you'll see teams win. You know, the Clippers obviously had that comeback the other night. You're or, dang right they did, Ben. Orlando had one game one. Brooklyn won game one. But in the end, most of the better teams, or at least the title contenders, are going to win their first round series. I'll just ask you guys, is there anything that's really caught your eye so far and, and anything to you that could be a sign of things to come going forward in the later rounds? What's caught my eye so far and... Most of these series are only like the deepest ones are three games in. So it's like 2 1 is the most any of these series are up right now. Uh, has been San Antonio really taking care of business against the uh, two seeded Denver Nuggets? San Antonio won game three last night by a final score of 118 to 108. Derek White has just looked like an absolute stud this playoff. Just it- another classic example of a Spurs. The Spurs taking a player from out of nowhere and turning him basically just into a beast on the court. Well, do you know the Derek White story? It's incredible. I mean, he didn't have a Division One offer out of high school. Mm-hmm. Most Division Twos wouldn't even offer him. He goes to a school that's known for their culinary degrees, not for basketball. Plays super well there and ends up playing a senior year at Colorado and then gets drafted by the Spurs. And you, you and I are having this discussion yesterday. Like, if the Spurs want you, that's probably a good thing. And it's obviously taken a little bit of time. This is his second year, but... You can net. Chase and I had this discussion last week. You can never ever count out the Spurs in the playoffs. They've just got guys. They've got their system. And even if Denver's the more talented team, San Antonio seems to find a way. It's like me and Ben talked about last week. Uh, there was a year the Clippers were a two seed and the, the Spurs were a seven, and it was a seven game series. I mean, that just doesn't happen. But it's mm. the Spurs. You can't ever count the Spurs out. And something that's really you know stood out to me in th- this, it, it's the 76ers, but there's a part of the 76ers. And I think it's proven. The 76ers are going to make a run. It's not because of Joel Embiid. It's because of Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty well evident last night. 31 points and 9 rebounds. I don't care that he doesn't shoot threes. He puts the ball in the basket. Who cares? If you if he can't shoot threes and you play off him and he still scores 31 points, I, I mean, that there's a problem there that you can't guard him. And so I really think that that is the big thing. And I think another issue is why are they giving Joel Embiid games off? It's the playoffs. Play. I don't care how hurt, how often you get hurt. It's the playoffs. Freaking play. I understand that, but considering his history of knee injuries, I think you have to be careful here in terms of— Especially in the earlier rounds. Yeah, I mean, in, in this isn't just about this year for Philadelphia. This is about years to come, and he, especially he's still young, but he missed, remember, the, like the first two and a half years of his career with knee injuries. I think in certain situations, yes, but I think with Embiid, you have to be really, really careful because you don't want to you know, pay the price later on for stuff you do now. To me, the interesting thing has been Houston. I mean, we talked about last week, Chase and I did, that we thought Houston-Utah would be a really competitive series, and we'll see when we go back to Salt Lake City for games three and four, but the first two games have been absolute blowouts. Houston looks great. Last year, you know, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt in that end of the Western Conference Final, there's a good chance they beat Golden State in that series. And with Golden State, you know, not looking their sharpest so far in this series against the Clippers, they already lost Boogie Cousins. Potentially here, I think it could be a very interesting series between Houston and Golden State if Houston continues to play this way. I mean, they, they've they got the guys to match up with Golden State, which is not something that many teams in this league have. Yeah, they definitely do. This is a Houston with James Harden, who's once again has an argument for MVP. He's the best scorer in the league. Yeah, he's, That's he's one of the best scorers ever yeah. at this point. 
And the only person that you can even argue is a better scorer than James Harden is Steph Curry. That's pretty good company to be in. You yeah. can argue Harden's even better. So Houston's always like always has the opportunity to win games strictly off of James Harden and James Harden alone. But now they have everyone around him playing as well as they have. They're threat to sweep the Jazz in a 4-5 series and could even topple the one-seeded Warriors, even though I will believe it when I see it. Yeah, and with them being the four, remember, that would be a second-round matchup. That would not be a conference final this year. Um, I, to me, another interesting series is the Portland-Oklahoma City one. Portland got swept by New Orleans last year. The sort of theme continued. Portland can't win in the playoffs, and Oklahoma City certainly has their issues, but Portland has looked really good in the first two games, and I think this is the time of year that you know Portland has all these late-night games, and so people don't always see them on TV, but people are reminded of just how good a player Damian Lillard is, and him as the top dog on that team, you know, they've got some weapons, and you know that would be a really interesting series to me. Portland and San Antonio potentially, or even Portland and Denver in, in a second-round series, I think could be an awfully good series. Well, and, you know, we go back to to Houston, just like you were talking about. How can you match up with Houston? Just listen to these numbers. So this is their starting lineup. So they have Chris Paul at the point guard, great all-around passer, and a pretty good shooter. But then listen to their 3-4-5. James Harden, 45% three-point shooter. Eric Gordon, 46% three-point shooter. P.J. Tucker, 43% three-point shooter. How do you match up with that? And it's not a low volume of no. threes. Yeah, no, they're shooting a lot of threes. Like the other night, James Harden, 6 of 13. Eric Gordon, 3 of 6, 4 of 7. They shot 42 threes the other night. But they made 17 of them, 40% from the field. I mean, it's really, really hard to match up with a team who's got a player like Chris Paul who can get to the rim almost anytime he wants. They've got Clint Capello who's going to rebound, block shots, put stuff back. I mean, I just don't know how you match up with them, really. Yeah, they're a super, super talented team. And this Mike D'Antoni system, we've seen it work before in the playoffs with Phoenix back in the day. He had it going in New York for a while. He's been, you know, been all over. But I, th- I think they're a team that is clicking at the right time, and it's a reminder of not always to take what you see in the regular season so seriously, especially in the NBA. These are these teams that can really turn it on in the postseason. Yeah, and you say not to take the regular season so seriously. So what I'm about to do is point to the two regular season games that the Bucks played with the uh, Houston Rockets. As a reason as to why I think the team with the best record in the NBA, the Bucs can play and beat Houston because they match up actually well against them. This Bucks defense limits the amount of good threes teams take, forcing them to take bad threes. We've seen Eric Bledsoe do a good job at guarding James Harden in both of those games in Milwaukee and in Houston. And, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo is basically unstoppable when it comes to playing on the inside. There is no one aside from prime Shaquille O'Neal, that's been as good of an inside scorer as we've seen from Giannis this year. So I just had to get my Bucks love in there for how well they've done this season against Houston. And if Houston knocks out Golden State in that second-round matchup, like we were talking about, the Bucs could uh, do well this season. Certainly the Bucs are off to a hot start. They blew out the Pistons game one. Game two is a little bit closer, but... We also are a little bit counting out the Warriors here when it's probably... <laughs> no, it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've still got, as we saw last night, plenty of talent even without Boogie. And Andrew Bogut back there seems like a pretty good fit coming back from Australia. All right, switching our focus just on the last couple minutes here to the NHL. Only two series have been decided so far in the first round, and they were two of the more surprising ones. Tampa Bay gets swept a historic regular season, and they get swept by Columbus and the Islanders knock out Pittsburgh. And, you know, that was sort of an interesting discussion, too. You talk about, you know, regular season and some of these teams. You know, Tampa Bay had the great regular season, and they get knocked out. Pittsburgh didn't have a great regular season, and they get knocked out. So I don't know what you can take from that. The NHL playoffs are 
you know, they're funky. Like, they're funky. Oh, yeah. I, I don't understand the people that make the brackets. Like, why would you make a bracket in the NHL? Like, good luck um, putting yeah. your money on the line. I mean, yeah, Tampa Bay winning the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like March Madness, I guess. Yeah. You know? I mean, you, you don't really know. Um, but still, a lot of series that are close. Uh, a couple, you know, there are three in the, in the Western Conference where one team is ahead. St. Louis 3-2 over Winnipeg, Colorado 3-1 over Calgary, and Vegas 3-2 over San Jose. And then three more series that are knotted at two, Nashville and Dallas, Washington and Carolina, Boston and Toronto. We'll see if some of those teams with three wins can get that fourth win. That's always the hardest one to get. Vegas had a chance last night. They didn't get it as San Jose won. Kind of got owned last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it... that fourth game is the single toughest one. There's a ton of, you know, you talk about the pressure on the team that's on the brink of elimination, but there's a lot of pressure on the team with three wins. And, you know, to win the Stanley Cup, you got to win big games. And Vegas did that last year to get to the Stanley Cup final. And I would still think they're the heavy favorite to win, I think the game is tomorrow night in Vegas uh, to finish off that series. No, it's Sunday. Or Sunday. But still, you know, to me, I don't know, it's just... I don't know what to expect at this point. You talk about the Winnipeg-St. Louis series where the road teams won all five games. You've seen Washington look like they were well on their way to dominating Carolina, and then Carolina wins the two games in Raleigh, and now TJ Oshie's hurt and not coming back anytime soon. To me, it's just been, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, and, and it, it's fun to watch. We haven't had any crazy overtime games yet where like two or three overtimes, but it just seems like, Anything could happen over these next couple weeks, and this is only round one. Yeah, the only thing I know about these NHL playoffs so far is that I know nothing, and that Tampa Bay got swept, and I think that's really funny. And the Islanders are playing really well, especially against the Penguins, and Robin Leonard is a stud now that he's out of Buffalo. And I'm I'm looking at the Islanders uh, throughout the rest of these playoffs just to see what they can do. The Avs have been really interesting to me. It's a team that has a ton of young talent on them. Nathan McKinnon has really proved himself to be a star as well. So I'd say look for the Avs, especially tonight, uh, trying to clinch that series against the top-seeded Calgary Flames. Yeah, and, you know, before I start talking about anything else, I just I just want to talk about last night and that St. Louis-Winnipeg game. You deserve I mean, it, Chase. I mean, who would have saw that coming? Seriously, though, Winnipeg just looked absolutely dominant. They come out scoring the first 12 seconds of the game, and they come out and score another. They're up 2-0. Second period, the Blues can't get any. I mean, it just really was a dominant performance by Winnipeg. The major factor in that key game was Robert Thomas takes a uh, takes a high-sticking minor. It's a four-minute power play for Winnipeg. The Blues, Jordan Bennington, have so, stopped all shades, uh, eight shots, excuse me, and were able to kill that off, and that was a huge turning point in yeah, that whole game. Yeah, and I mean, I think, too, that play, whether you want to blame it or not, where Kevin Hayes had is he probably didn't even need to touch it and the puck nope. goes in the net. He touches nope. it and it goes the other way. Correct. If that game goes 3 nothing, it's probably over at that point. Yep. But oh, Winnipeg, sure. Winnipeg's now blown three third-period leads, and you have to think that's probably in their head a little bit. You know, it, Whether you want to say it or not, the playoffs are as much mental gymnastics as they are physical, and you know when something happens once or twice, it, you can get this here we go again feeling. Well, and I think a, I think a big factor was, too, last night, Braden Shin, the second goal for the Blues, the, the net was coming loose, I, you know, although this is just strictly unbiased. In my opinion, that puck's going in either way, whether the goal is being moved or not. And I think that's what the referees saw, too, is that that puck is going to go in either way, whether the goal is being moved or, you know, it's staying right there. There's no way Hellbuck's getting over to make that save. And, you know, a lot of Winnipeg fans are upset about that. Well, they have to realize, too, you know, it was a goal, but the Blues would have also had a two-minute power play coming out of that if it wasn't a goal. So it's definitely something interesting as well. But just to hit on your point, Terry, about the avalanche and the flames – the Flames are a team that I really thought could struggle in the postseason. You, you know, they got really hot in the regular season. 
But a team like Colorado that has a lot of speed between, as you mentioned, Nathan McKinnon and Landeskog, they're finally getting some good goaltending play as well. You know, I think they're a team to watch out for, as you mentioned. Well, in the NHL, too, the difference between the teams, whether it's a 1-8 matchup or a 2-7, is just not that much compared to the NBA, as we've seen, where you, you take, we were talking Milwaukee and Detroit earlier. I mean, there's just, and I know Blake Griffin's hurt, but there's just an enormous talent gap between the, the, the top seeds in the NBA and the bottom seeds compared to the NHL, where certainly one team finished with more points than the other, but there's not necessarily that huge talent gap that some people want to talk about. Well, you mean how Nashville and Dallas is basically a 2-7 matchup, and I can tell you very much that Dallas is not a 7 seed. They're right. not even close. Right, well, yeah, and, and you look at you know even the East, you know, Tampa Bay is certainly the better team than Columbus in the regular season, but Columbus is not a bad team at no, all. And, not at and all. they've got plenty of talent on that team. They're not really what you would think of as an eight seed. So, you know, it differs on the every year, but really, you know, you can see the the how close these series are and a lot of the you know, obviously a couple sweeps, but really that's what makes the NHL playoffs great is that there is so many teams that are close to the same talent level and they play these long series and oftentimes they go six, seven games. And you kind of just don't know who's going to win. And that's what makes it so much fun is we continue on through the first round of the NHL playoffs. Well, that'll just about do it for the preferred walk-ons today. We thank Matthew Terry once again for coming on and joining us. Garrett Jones will be back next week along with Chase and I. And make sure to stay tuned to KCU all weekend long. Reminder, Mizzou softball taking on Texas A&M. Tonight, first pitch is at 6.30. Tomorrow at noon, Tiger first pitch presented... The actual first pitch pregame show, I should clarify that, presented by BNV Bagel, will be on half an hour before each of those games. So make sure to stay tuned for that, as well as a KCOU Sports Saturday tomorrow. And so Tiger Softball all weekend and then Tiger Baseball coming up next weekend. And also make sure to stay tuned to the KCOU social media channels this week, as KCOU will have a couple reporters live in Nashville for the NFL draft, where Mizzou quarterback Drew Locke is expected to go early some point in the first round, as well as several other players, including Emmanuel Hall, who could be probably anywhere between a second and fourth round pick. So we have full coverage on our social media channels throughout the week, as well as, I think, a live show. Is that right, Matthew? Um, I think... Uh, Ke- yes, Keegan and Brandon, the two people we were sending down to Nashville, are doing a live show. They'll be doing there. a live show from there as well, so that should be pretty cool to check out if you get a chance. Thank you all for joining us today. We will be back next week. This has been the Preferred Walk-Ons.